This episode features disturbing images, depictions of child abduction, pregnancy trauma, and infant death. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. Please note, the story you're about to hear is not a direct retelling of any single depiction of the Icelandic elves or huldafolk. Today's episode combines elements from a number of Icelandic and Northern European legends for dramatic effect. Hello, I'm Vanessa Richardson. Welcome to Mythical Monsters, a Spotify original from Parcast. Each week we travel the world in search of the most epic creatures from myth and legend, exploring who they are, where they come from, and what they say about the culture they terrorized. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Today we continue our trek across mythical Iceland in search of the most frightening and powerful creatures of the polar north. Our last few monsters have been bound by a location or goal, a ghostly bull out for revenge, an infant haunting its parents, a horse dragging you to the bottom of the lake. But the Icelandic elves are everywhere you look, hidden, watching, waiting behind every rock and blade of grass. Even so, you'll just never see them, not until they want you to. Coming up, an elf makes a fateful request. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. If you drive through suburban Iceland today, you'll notice some of the yards are oddly cluttered. Deep gray and black volcanic rocks lay about in haphazard clumps. If you ask about them, many Icelanders can be reluctant to answer. Go to the tourist center down the road, they say. They'll explain. But if you press, they'll tell you the rocks are elf churches or elf houses. No matter what you call them, the rocks belong to the elves, and that is why you must never move them. It might sound silly, and it's true that only a small percentage of Icelanders openly, fervently believe in elves. Another small percentage absolutely does not. 
most sit somewhere in the middle. They aren't sure, really. After all, the elves are rather hard to pin down. The details of the appearance of the elves, called Aulafar and Hulda folk, or hidden people, are up for debate. Since they're rarely seen in their true form, some say they're small enough to sit on windowsills. Others contend that they're human-sized, moving among us undetected, unless you get very, very close. There are also those who contend that Aulafar and Hulda folk are two distinct variations of mystical creatures. The quickest way to recognize an elf is their clothes, which are often one or two hundred years behind the current style. Many historians believe that the original settlers of Iceland in the 9th century CE were migrants from Norway, Scotland, and Ireland, so it makes sense that the Hulda folk bear some similarities to Irish fairies. Both are unseen supernatural beings who love making deals and frequently trick their human neighbors. But while the world of Irish fae is one of mythical enigmas and court intrigue, the Icelandic elves are much more domestic. Icelandic legend holds that elves have their own habits and societies going on in an unseen dimension beside our own, often called the Other World. They farm food, raise cattle, and worship on Sundays in the aforementioned elf churches. If you treat them and their homes with respect, you've nothing to fear. But if you move a rock or otherwise damage the natural world, things get dangerous very quickly. Animals sicken, machines malfunction, people drop dead. The usual Icelandic approach is to give the elves room to either recover or leave. Construction delays in Iceland are still blamed on the Hulda folk. It seems best to just stay out of their way if you can. But the thing is, sometimes they put themselves in your way. When they do, there's very little hope of getting out unscathed. Brynja bent low to the ground to place the lantern glass over the candle. Her round belly dipped lower, the little one inside it kicking in protest. She bit back a groan and concentrated on her task. The wind whistled, trying to snuff out the small flame, but Brynja wouldn't let it die, no matter how hard the wind blew. The Hulda folk needed to see in the dark. How else would they move to their new home, as they did every New Year's Eve? Brynja looked up the street. Hers was one in a long line of candle-lit homes, rows of flames stretching through the darkness. She braced herself against the house to stand up and waved over her husband, Outney. He'd completed his part on the other side of the road as well. They were ready to head inside. Brynja put her hand in his as they made their way across the yard. There was a man outside her door, or perhaps not a man, not a fully grown one anyway. And yet, strangely, when Brynja blinked, he seemed taller than anyone she'd ever met. His clothes were strange, well-tailored, but out of fashion. He bowed low in greeting. You are a midwife, yes? Brynja nodded and asked how she could help. His high cheekbones softened to reveal a relieved smile. You must come with me. My wife is very ill. Our child is coming. Brynja told Outney to get her instruments. He did so dutifully. Still, he pulled her aside and whispered, 
I don't like this. They're traveling on New Year's Eve. What if he's... Artney seemed too afraid to say it. Brynja shook her head. It would be a great honor if he was, and we cannot refuse, can we? Artney blanched. But if you offend them in any way, they'll... Brynja interrupted him with a soft squeeze of her hand. That a reddest. It will all work out in the end. Get some rest. I'll be back soon. The stranger, who said his name was Gare, led her quickly through the streets. She tried to put him at ease as best she could. Gare is a lovely name. You said you're a farmer. What sort of crops do you grow? He didn't respond. He only walked faster. Brynja felt an odd push against her shoulder. She held her stomach protectively and turned to look. But there was nothing there. The street was empty. Something shoved her again, harder this time. Brynja stumbled and nearly toppled over, but Gare was there, steadying her from behind. This was strange for two reasons. One, his palms were far softer than any farmer's she'd ever felt. Two, he'd been six steps in front of her only seconds ago. At this rate, he could be an elf, a ghost, or something worse. But all Brynja could do was follow. Gare's wife, Erna, was in the back of a small, hay-filled cart on the very outskirts of the village, draped in shadow and starlight. She was beautiful, too. Her features were angular, like Gare's, and her hair glowed nearly white beneath the moon. And she was in great pain. Brynja didn't know anything about elven anatomy. The possibility of a Hulda folk patient certainly hadn't been included when she was an apprentice. She told herself that the twinge in her stomach was a result of the baby kicking, nothing more. Fear at this point was unhelpful. She went straight to work. Erna's face glistened with sweat, and the bottom of her long skirt was stained with what appeared to be mud from the road. It wasn't. Blood was leaking from beneath Erna's dress. She must have seen Brynja's face, because her voice grew more desperate. Please, please, tell me what's wrong. Brynja steadied her voice. You're going to be all right. It wasn't a lie in Brynja's mind. She knew what to watch for when it came to the health of the mother, but she'd made no promises about the baby. She eyed Gare nervously. He was hovering, rubbing his hands together. There was little she could do. They'd found her too late. Perhaps the child had never had a chance at all. It was all too common, and often the mother was lucky to be alive. And yet, as she watched Gare and Erna, she knew they didn't feel lucky at all. She carefully took the dead child into her arms. She expected him to be purple and red, like human children. But his skin was the palest lavender— Erna's voice rose to a tortured keening. Her voice was ragged and thin. Gare held her, eyes far away. Brynja spoke gently. Would you like to hold him to say goodbye? Neither of them answered at first. Then Gare took his son from her. He showed him to Erna, whose cries turned to whimpers. After an eternal, tragic moment... His gaze fell on Brynja. 
Even with the chill in the air, Gare's eyes froze her heart. She'd been so focused on Erna's safety that she'd forgotten to care for her own. She'd done her best to please the elves, but was that enough? And was her own vulnerable state, her own pregnancy, an offense within itself? Gare's stillness evaporated in an instant. He rushed towards her, but was stopped by Erna's white-knuckled hand. Husband, come, we will lose the light. Brynja followed Gare's gaze as he looked down the road. The candles were down to their last few inches of wax. Erna swaddled her dead son in her old raiments. Brynja blinked. The couple and their little cart were gone. Brynja placed her hand on her stomach and tried to reassure her child, or perhaps herself. It will all work out in the end. It will all work out in the end. It will all work out in the end. But that last word, end, settled into her bones, curled around her heart, and stayed there. She wouldn't know if the Hulda folk were angry with her, not until she met her end. Coming up, the elves take what they want. Hi, listeners. It's Vanessa from the ParCast series Mythology. Every Tuesday, join me on a wondrous journey back in time, exploring the most epic battles, sweeping love stories, and harrowing adventures ever told. Heroes, gods, monsters, mayhem. This podcast has it all. From the Knights of the Round Table and Hori the Hunter to Paradise Lost and the Lost City of Atlantis. Each episode of Mythology dramatizes history's greatest stories, bringing their origins to life and giving insight into how our ancestors saw the universe. Ancient myths, modern twists. Catch new episodes of Mythology every Tuesday and binge the classics anytime. Listen free only on Spotify. Now back to the story. Outney didn't know how to help his wife Brynja when she came home. She was unsteady on her feet. It took many hours to calm her down and get her to tell the story of her strange night. She'd done her best, but in the end, the elven couple's infant hadn't lived. Outney held her close and told her it would all work out. The hidden people would understand that she did everything she could. Thirteenth night came and went. The new year had begun. Outney tried not to think about the elves who had come to their door, or about the tragedy Brynja had witnessed, a tragedy that they could have blamed on her. He tried to put it out of his mind. He and Brynja lit the traditional elf fires, as they did every year. They waited for spring to come. It did kindly, but Outney couldn't relax. They had a new baby, after all. The days blurred together into feeding and changing and sleeping when they could. The next festival, Midsummer Night, snuck up on them. Outney made Brynja promise she wouldn't go outside during the holiday. The elves would roam again, it was said, and they offered all kinds of deals and trinkets to celebrate the day. Brynja agreed. Their infant son, Auki, did not. He had never been a good sleeper, but the summer had made it worse. He would only tire when his parents walked him through the fresh air. Midsummer night was no exception, which meant Artney had to take walking duty. 
After 10 hours digging ditches, he returned home and took up his second shift, stepping outside with his infant son in his arms. He did a few laps around the house, but Alki wouldn't settle. He widened the circle a little, cautiously going within a few feet of the main road. The sun hurt his eyes. He had grown up in this village. He knew there would be 20 hours of light at the summer solstice. But still, to this day, his mind twisted and itched as the daylight stretched on. A snatch of uproarious laughter made him jump. His exhaustion hit him like a bag of stones. Alki paid it no mind. He laughed a few times, but mostly he fussed and wriggled. It will all work out in the end, Outney muttered, trying to remind himself that this sort of optimism was part of being an Icelander. Light followed darkness. It was just the way of things. One of those slivers of darkness that fell across the road moved, quivered, and folded out into the shape of a long, slender, familiar figure. Outney's heart pounded in his chest. Gare? Is that you? Gare bowed his head. We meet again, Outney. And young Outney? Outney could not help but laugh. It may have been more out of nervousness than humor, but that was his own business. No, no, no. He's his own person, Alki. Gare looked just as he had before. Older robes, cheekbones like blades in the moonlight. His voice was level when he spoke. I have come to ask your forgiveness. Brynja tried to help us, and in my grief... He paused. I frightened your wife. I was not myself. Allow me to do you a favor in exchange, please. We owe you a life debt. Outney didn't trust this. This was the one night a year that the Hulda folk truly reveled in mischief. Gare was still watching him closely. How about something simple? We can influence your crops, your health, anything you desire. Outney talked a lot, but he was not a well-spoken man. I'm all right, thanks. Gare's face didn't move. It was as if Outney hadn't spoken at all. What if I could tell you that your little boy will sleep peacefully every night? Outney narrowed his eyes, but Gare showed no sign of ill intent or overconfidence. He added, You have my word as an elf that no harm will come to little Alki. Outney knew he should say no, but he was so tired. Brynja was so tired. He worried they would end up killing each other when winter returned. The long day would become the long night. Darkness, frozen wind, and cruel, cold memory of the happy life they'd lived before. Nothing but that and his son's screams. Yes, Outney and Brynja would certainly be each other's end. It would not work out if they went on like this. This was it. Auki had to sleep. They all had to sleep. It was a matter of life and death. So he told Gare... Yes, and the world faded away into haze and dark. Outney didn't remember what he was doing. Getting milk for Brynja, maybe? More candles? He looked down at his empty hands, as if answers could be found there. Clearly, he needed more sleep. Hopefully, Brynja had gotten little Alki down for a nap. 
Brynja looked up at him bleary-eyed when he came in. How's our boy? Brynja stared at him. He was with you. Artney blinked. No, he wasn't. You told me you were going to try everything to get him to sleep. Brynja's voice shook with confusion. I told you to take him outside on a walk. Outney paused. That sounded familiar, but he didn't have the boy, so he had to be with Brynja. Brynja's voice was deep, even cold. Outney, where is our son? He didn't have to speak for her to know. You lost him? Outney knew there was no point in arguing. He needed to find his son. Outney rushed out into the midnight sun. He didn't bother to shield his eyes. He just ran. He screamed Alki's name, grabbing every reveler he passed, asking if they'd seen his son. Many of them were drunk and not at all helpful, but Outney wouldn't let them go, not until they recovered the most precious thing to him in the world. They looked high and low. The whole village did. The baby was nowhere to be found. Brynja clutched at Outney, barely able to stand. She cried into his chest, whimpering, How could you leave him? How could you leave him? Outney wanted to say that he hadn't left him. He'd never leave his son. He never let Alki out of his sight. Even though he wasn't ready to crawl yet, it didn't make sense. Outney racked his brain for days, then months, then years. Brynja said she forgave him. He knew she didn't. He could feel the way she looked at him when she thought he wasn't watching. There was pity, resentment, and perhaps deep down hatred. Ten years passed, then another five. Outney lost hope of ever seeing him again. Then, and only then, did he remember who had taken Auki and how he'd taken Auki. But what was the use? Alki was now beyond the realm of mortal men. The Hulda folk only returned what they had stolen when they wished. And there was no telling what the lost would be like when they returned. Coming up, Alki returns a changed man. Now, back to the story. Alki knew very little of the place he'd originally come from the realm the elves called the World Beside. He knew that it sat near and on top of his home, layered on each other like a woven basket. He knew that he had come from it 16 long years ago, and that Gare and Erna were not the people who had given birth to him. In a way, he understood that he'd been stolen. He didn't blame his parents. From what he understood, the World Beside was a sad and dangerous place. Horrible things happened there. In the world here, the elves never fought amongst themselves. Death was too horrible to waste on something as silly as an argument. The world beside was filled with violence, between the humans and from the humans against the earth. Even knowing this, his parents told him he could go to the world beside if he wanted. And Alki did want to. So much had changed there. People were forgetting the old ways. Someone had to do something. Alki stood in the foyer of their stone home, edging nervously from foot to foot. You're sure no one remembers me? Gare gave him a sympathetic look. I'm afraid not, my son. They gave you away so freely. I still bristle at the thought. 
and you must take no insult, you understand me? If they disrespect you or us in the least, Aoki finished for him, I destroy them as they have destroyed us. Erna had helped dress Aoki in their newest finery, something only 50 years out of date, only the best for her son. She made him promise to be careful. Aoki crossed his heart. I won't let anything like that happen, mother. Promise. Aoki was now over a foot taller than his parents, so she had him bend down so she could kiss him on the head. Then he walked towards the elf church, the portal between the world here and the world beside. The dark rock glittered with possibility. After one last look to his mother, he pressed his fingers into the viscous barrier and stepped through. The village was larger than he imagined. He could feel the scars its rapid growth had left in the earth around him. It was the way his father had taught him to feel, to understand his connection to the worlds here and beside. And yet he hadn't expected it to hurt this much. The sensation was so powerful, it felt like he was splitting in two. His skin was the soil, his bones the shattered rock, his blood the water, choked and burning with refuse. The only thing holding him together was rage. Then he saw the great wound they had opened up in the earth, and the man digging, making it deeper. There was something familiar about him, something Alki couldn't put his finger on. Well, all the better. Perhaps Alki could get through to him. He tapped the digger on the shoulder. That road is through an elf hill, you know. The man stopped digging. He leaned on the shovel, looking Alki up and down. Yes, and? Alki took a breath and lowered his voice to a deeper register. You must stop building. This is not your place. The ditch digger paused again, wedging the blade of the shovel into the earth so it stood upright like a grave. He crossed his arms and glared at Aoki. It's not yours either, boy. If the elves have something to say, let them try. I've been trying to get my hands on one for years. Aoki was taken aback. This was not Gare's anger. The wrath of the elves was simmering, eternal. This was scalding, quick-burning, and deadly. Aoki opened his mouth, but didn't know what to say. The ditch digger grabbed him by the front of his robes. You've seen one? Is that where you got these rags? Aoki struggled to tell the man to put him down, but the man kept shaking him. He lifted Aoki off the ground by his throat. The world spun on its axis. Aoki clutched at the man's broad chest, trying to free himself. The man pulled him close. Ale-soaked breath burned Aoki's face. He coughed, still trying to push the man away. The ditch digger drew him even closer. He squinted, and a strange light flickered in his eyes. Aoki? He dropped the boy. Aoki hit the earth in a heap. He coughed, rubbing his neck as he looked up at the ditch digger. How do you know my name? The ditch digger paid no attention to the question. He grabbed Aoki by the back of his coat and dragged him down the street. Aoki tried to resist again, but it was no use. The man's grip was like iron. Aoki scrabbled at the earth, exclaiming, Let me go! How do you know my name? In answer, the man opened the door to a little house and pushed him inside. 
There was a fire crackling in the hearth, a pile of herbs and poultices at the table. Right beside it was a small, round woman with deep brown eyes. She stepped forward slowly, arms outstretched like she'd seen a ghost. Auki! Oh, Auki! She gently cupped his face, running her thumb along his cheekbone. There was something so familiar about her touch, Auki couldn't explain it. Who are you? How do you know my name? The woman was crying. I'm your mother, Auki, and this is your father. She indicated to the man who had just tried to kill him. The ditch digger gave him a hard look. You're sure it's him, Brynja? The woman, Brynja, smiled through her tears. You wouldn't have brought him here if you didn't think so, Artney. She brought him to a chair at the kitchen table and sat opposite. The ditch digger sat between them. She asked Alki what he wanted to know. He wasn't sure he wanted to know anything at all. She seemed keen to answer anything and everything, whether it was asked or not. We missed you so much, my little one. Your father especially. He was tricked, horribly tricked by that elf Gare all those years ago. Alki's head cocked ever so slightly. That didn't sound like his parents at all. Why were these people lying to him? Brynja told him the whole story, every painful detail. Alki sat for a long time, unmoving, trying to decide who to believe and what to do. Brynja kept talking, filling the silence with her longing and regret. I understand their grief, really, I do. We can share you with them, can't we, Artney? We can do that, as long as we have you for a little while. Just a little while, a few months of the year, springtime, perhaps. The ditch digger was staring at him like he might dissolve into smoke. Sorry, kid, for the, you know. Aoki didn't absolve him, but he seemed not to notice. The ditch digger eyed the backyard. It was dotted with the usual gray and black volcanic stones. At least I can finally clear the rocks. The temperature in the room dropped 10 degrees. Aoki looked at him. Why would you do that? The ditch digger looked at him matter-of-factly. Because I was waiting for you. Brynja can make amends, but I'm done. I was cautious. I was respectful. They took you once. Let them try to take you back. They can't have everything they want. The world is changing. Aoki's hand closed into fists at his sides. He felt a buzzing in his belly, wrath growing, the magic of his adopted people rising within him. The ditch digger still did not notice. He repeated, The world is changing. You'll see now that you're out. There's a road to Reykjavik now, straight through the mountains. It was the worst thing he could have said. Alki loved the mountains. In the land of the elves, they were brilliant green and gold, ever glittering beneath the northern lights. To slice them with something as ugly as a road was just unthinkable. Alki stood from his chair. Brynja and Artney went silent, confused. Alki did what his father had taught him. He destroyed them as they had destroyed him. Alki stood in the house he'd been born in, bathed in the blood of those who had made him. They'd forgotten the old ways, and so they had to die. In the end, the earth was his kin. The rest 
didn't matter. Former president of Iceland, Oliver Ragnar Grimson, once said that Icelanders are few in number, so in the old times, we doubled our population with tales of elves and fairies. There may be some small truth to that. When the Norse and Celtic settlers arrived on the desolate volcanic isle of Iceland for the first time, it was empty. There was no native population to war or trade with. They were alone. Perhaps the elves were a way to fill in the gaps, to imagine that civilization was possible on such an empty island. The Celtic fairies and Norse elves provided ample inspiration. But as Iceland developed a national identity of its own, the Hulda folk became their own unique creature. Others suggest that elves and the Hulda folk were inspired by the many Norse burial grounds, whose ruins remain all over Iceland to this day. The thought of the dead lying right beside you could have given rise to the stories of the hidden people and other dimensions behind the rocks and beneath the earth. We may never know the full truth of the elves' origins, but their purpose for modern-day Icelanders couldn't be more clear. They demonstrate the majesty, beauty, and wildness of the island they've chosen to inhabit. They're a reminder to move slowly, carefully, and respectfully. This means that sometimes, or really most times, you need to leave certain parts of the natural world exactly as you found them, even if you do have to reroute a road to do it. Really, what's the harm in believing in elves? The environment gets better taken care of, and there's a little more wonder in the world. It's all quite harmless. As long as you don't move the rocks. Thanks for listening to Mythical Monsters. We'll be back next time with one more Monster of Iceland. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. I'll see you next time. Mythical Monsters is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Carrie Murphy, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Nick Johnson, Trent Williamson, and Carly Madden. This episode of Mythical Monsters was written by Jen Rache, edited by Robert Teamstra and Nora Battelle, fact-checked by Bennett Logan, researched by Adriana Gomez, and produced by Travis Clark. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 